Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Well, the Hokies are 2-0. They just dusted off Delaware in a sort of blasé kind of well, – blasé is not the word. A blah effort. A blah effort. But we'll get – They were blasé about their efforts. Yes, <laughs> That's right. We'll talk about that matchup and how that game went down. We'll break it down. Um, then we'll move on to the ECU game, talk about what's wrong with ECU right now, uh, how much of a threat do they pose, that kind of thing. And we'll wrap it up with our predictions for the week. Hopefully we'll have some fun along the way because if we're talking about blah and blah, it doesn't sound that exciting, but it, we'll try to make it as exciting as we can. 27 nothing was the final over Delaware. Andy, just <clears throat> I don't know. What what. Did, what word would you use to describe that game? It, meh. Yeah. That's probably the best word. I mean, it was just, it was meh. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about the third quarter thing later after the third quarter of that break. But it's like, was anybody in the crowd really excited at that moment of the game to be like, all right, we're really having a great time here. It's like they were shutting out a team. They probably should have shut out. The offense didn't really look that great. Uh, There's no drama involved in anything. Uh, I think it was just sort of a meh game. You know, you, you have those every now and then. I actually uh, almost kind of expected it coming off the week that they had and the big win that they had against West Virginia. I just felt like there was going to be a natural uh, step back or taking a foot off the gas pedal. I mean, you just you, sometimes you play down to the competition that you have, and I think that's what they did the other day, and it was just uh, sort of a blah performance. Well, we had set the line because the line wasn't out yet because it was an FCS opponent. We had set it at 30 and we both, I think you said 33 margin, and I said 31 margin or something like that. But when the actual line came out, it was 39 and a half, and that felt too big. I mean, yeah, you know, oh yeah, just because you know, at some point you're probably going to take the foot off the gas, even if you are playing really well, and you can't count on a shutout. Um, so, you know, it was it was good enough. They got the win. Uh, offense only had 303 yards, though. That's how concerning is that? A little bit. I mean. <sighs> There are some plays that were out there that they missed. I think of uh, Sean Savoy dropping the long touchdown pass. It would have been a touchdown pass early. Uh, you know, Josh Jackson's line looks a lot different if he catches that pass. Uh, Jackson himself admitted he missed a couple throws. Uh, I think he mentioned one on Trayvon McMillan on a, a wheel route that he thought would have been a touchdown if he hits him on that. Uh, so just altogether not very sharp in, in certain areas. Uh, they didn't really connect downfield much, which didn't open up things in the ground game. Only had 81 rushing yards. Uh, just it just kind of felt like they were sleeping through that game. And I mean, good thing they got that Greg Stroman punt return for a touchdown early. Uh, that sort of got things going, gave them a little breathing room. I mean, if you don't get that and, and the score lingers at 0-0 longer and longer into the half, uh, I think the – you know, yuck factor or the the <laughs> the sphincter factor on that kind of puckers up a little bit, and they maybe don't play as loose as they do the rest of the game. But uh, yeah, it's it's it was just it was not really that entertaining of a game to watch. And I, I guess you kind of get that when it's the FCS game, you're just kind of kind of go through the motions. Yeah, I, you know, I ended up writing about the running game because to me this was an opportunity to you know, just kind of flex your muscle a little bit and just, just kind of trample a, a team that's physically not as big as you, not as strong as you, not as fast as you. Um, 
Justin Fuente was pretty adamant that, look, Delaware does not allow a lot of running. The way they do things with their scheme, it just doesn't set up nicely for a running attack to, to go wild. And I get that. But when they did run the ball, they didn't run it well. Um, the, the few opportunities they did give their tailbacks, um, nobody really broke anything. The longest rush of the day, eight yards. Eight yards? I mean, come on. I, I know it's uh, schematically a challenge maybe, but that's that to me that was uh, a, kind of a, an eye-opening number. Uh, the eight yards is the longest rush, and I still don't know what this tailback core necessarily can bring uh, in an op- if they have an opportunity to um, you know, run against a front that's not stacked. Yeah, I mean, you feel like they should just be able to line up and run past somebody like Delaware anywhere, not not get fancy with it. I mean, you've got Nijman and Wyatt Teller on the left side of the line, and supposedly these are two guys who are going to play in the NFL down the line, and you can't run behind them and get a, get a big game, just like physically overwhelm a, a team from a lower division. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned in your column last week, it's like that's Cro-Magnon thinking like, you know, this, this, you know, this Neanderthalish thinking, but sometimes that's what football boils down to is just line up and run over somebody. Uh, and you didn't really see that in that game. And I don't know if that was, uh, effort thing or they just weren't up for it, but you just didn't see that. And I think that what has, what still has to concern you about the running games, you just haven't quite seen that yet. You know, they, they got, they got a lot of yards against West Virginia. They got it by, uh, sort of deception. Uh, they do the the jet sweep. They fake it out, and all the West Virginia guys run to the sideline, and it's a you know air, airline runway down the middle for uh, Josh Jackson. I mean, <laughs> he's not the fast and you know the best runner, but uh, you know even he could take over a, a play like that and go 46 yards down the field. Even though I, I think he's a, a better runner than they've been letting on. So uh, from that that perspective in the running game, I think that uh, probably concerns you a little bit about as a Hokies fan. You're seeing that they're not just uh, sort of lining up and just sort of ramming it down people's throats. Yeah, I ran into Vance Vice, the offensive line coach at the <coughs> Lord Botetot football game on Friday night that I was covering. He was there to watch uh, John Tenuta's kid who was on Western Arbor Mar, and he was also there to watch a Botetot uh, tackle that was playing there. Uh, he's very friendly, very in good mood uh, that night. I would have liked to have talked to him on Sunday because I wonder how good of a mood he was in that day because he's he's sort of an old school guy that I think would have would have liked to have seen better out of his unit probably. Yeah, I think so. We'd like to talk to all the assistant coaches more. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's always a good interview whenever we talk to him. Although I, I will say that. Maybe he kind of gets more worked up at practice. Whenever he's talking to us, he's just like, man, I don't care, man. We'll go out there. We'll play 10 guys, 12 guys if we have to. He's always just like, we'll do whatever it takes to do this. He doesn't seem like he gets all worked up, but I can imagine uh, as any offensive line coach that's out there can really tear into his players when he needs to. Yeah. Well, the defense got the shutout, but there was a, a field goal that clanged off the uprights. Uh, there were some red zone piercings by uh, by Delaware. How good was the defense? Uh, you know, was it a shutout type performance? Or do you think that was a little bit lucky to get the shutout? I I think it was a pretty good performance. I don't think it was necessarily shutout worthy. Like you said, they got down to the one yard line, uh, ended up getting backed up on a play on a sack, and then missed a short field goal. I mean, that just sort of comes down to pure luck at that point. How how often does a team get down to the one yard line and not get some kind of points on the board? Uh, you know what you didn't see last week was them giving up the big play. Uh, that's what kind of hurt them against West Virginia is they had those explosive plays down the field. Uh, I can't remember the exact stats. I, I think their longest run was like 14 yards or something like that. I mean they they didn't give up huge plays. So I, I think that's how you have to feel comfortable coming out of that. I know everybody was concerned about the yardage they gave up in the first game. They only gave up like 200 
thirty some yards, I think, in this game. So, you know, all's calm <laughs> in Hokie Land about the the defense worrying about. Oh my gosh, all the yards they're giving up. They can still go out there and dominate a team that they should dominate. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds' numbers were ridiculous, weren't they? 14? Yeah, fourteen tackles, four and a half tackles for a loss. Had a sack and a half. Uh, Terrell Edmonds had like eight tackles, a, pa- a pick, and a sack. Uh, you know, I was saying in my uh, five thoughts thing, or I think after the games, I think by the time they're done, the Edmonds brothers might rival the the Fuller brothers for you know hokey first family, however whatever designation you want to give with that. I mean, they're producing like crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all those guys are beloved by the fans. I know the Fullers have four to the Edmonds's three. Uh, I don't know. I think by the time it's all said and done, especially if uh, you know Tremaine seems like he could be a really high draft pick. I think Terrell could shock some people. Uh, Trey is already in the league. He made the roster for the Saints, which you love to see with the kind of injury history that that guy had. He was just always relentlessly positive throughout all of that. Uh, you know, it's good to see something good happen to him, and he makes an NFL roster like that. Uh, that might be an interesting comparison a couple years down the line, though. I also find it interesting, you know, with Trey moving on to Maryland. I mean, there's certainly no no hard feelings with the family that it didn't work out for Trey. You know, it's like you still got your two other kids there, and they're tearing it up. Um, I, I think that says something about the family. You know, that uh, look, you can make a transfer for opportunity purposes, uh, and still, you know, have a good relationship with the coaching staff and the program. Oh, yeah. And I think in hindsight, if, if Trey had known what the running back situation was going to be like last year, sticking around wouldn't have been the worst idea. Right. I think Fuente definitely wanted him to stay. Uh, you know, he kind of you know, at pro day, Trey came back to that. And I think Fuente came over and was like, man, I want him to stay so bad. Last, like, look at him. He was in like peak physical form at that pro day. Uh, but, you know, Trey had other plans and you know, I think he ended up breaking his foot. Uh, in Maryland, just had the worst injury luck that you could possibly yeah. have in college. So it's good to see him healthy and uh, thriving, at least uh, making an NFL roster. Definitely. Well, the special teams you wrote about today, and first before we get into, uh, you, you had a chance to talk to Bradburn, and uh, he's met all of our qualifications uh, so far. That was subtle that you put that in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got getting his foot down under that ball and really booming it. How was the Aussie to talk to? I know you you enjoyed your previous uh, interviews with him. How was he this time? He's great. I wish we could get him all the time. I mean, how often do you request a punter to these interviews? But uh, we were talking about, you know, what would you do if you had to make a tackle? And he obviously has like an Australian rules football background. So he's made a tackle before, maybe not in, in American football. But he's like, oh, it's good. I'll, I'll hit it straight away. I'll knock him. <laughs> I'll hit him on, knock him on their ass. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is great. Like normally you get those guys up there and they kind of clam up and they don't show any kind of personality, but uh, he just doesn't care. <laughs> he's which, just going to say what he's going to say. Maybe he can like, he, you know, before he had the whole thing where he like, he was in class. He asked a, a girl for a rubber, meaning an eraser. He can just claim the, oh, no, ass means something else in Australia. He can say it. Uh, I kind of wish he would have said arse. Oh, that would have been better. Yeah. And if afterwards he would have cracked like a big Foster's and taken a swig. <laughs> and, you know, it, it would have been fantastic. But he's a great interview. Like, I don't know how often we're going to request the punter because it's just like, you know, how often do you talk to the punter? But. Uh, no, it was really good material. And then after he said that, somebody sent me a little gif of a kangaroo that walked up to a guy on a lake and just jumped up and kicked him into the lake. Uh, <laughs> so I think the fans are having fun with this whole Australia thing as well. Yes. Um, 
but you also wrote about the, the special teams as a whole. I mean, you mentioned the Stroman punt return and the hidden yardage that, that, that they're picking up uh, in the in the special teams game with the one caveat of, of Joey Sly's struggles. Um, he did hit a 50-yarder, right? And then, But he also missed uh, – he's missed a few this year. All told, though, special teams have been excellent so far, haven't they? Yeah, and I, I think that's what Hokies fans wanted to see. They kind of wondered how in the post-Frank Beamer era special teams would be, if, if they would still pay attention to them, and obviously they are. Uh, you know, James Shebest is regarded as one of the, the better special teams coaches in the country, I think. He's, he's had that reputation at a couple schools now. That's why Fuente brought him with uh, from Memphis when he came here, and that's showing. I mean, they've been very sharp in all, in all facets. Uh, you know, in, you know, they haven't had to cover a kick yet. Joey has had 12 touchbacks and 12 attempts. So it'll be interesting to see how good that unit is when they actually have to cover a kick. Uh, but Bradburn's been good. The coverage teams have been good. Uh, it's punt return, obviously with Stroman getting that one kick return. James Clark had a big return in the opener. Uh, really right now it's just sly. You know, he's three for seven, uh, had missed a couple short ones at West Virginia, had one blocked last week, missed a 51 yarder, which is, you know, 51 yards. Who's going to know about that? But he did make the 50 yarder first time he's made one from that range. Uh, I think with his track record, things are going to be okay. You know, you look at the two he missed in the opener. It's not like he like shanked them. He they just like barely missed over the upright or something like that. So, uh, for a guy that's going to be the career scoring leader at Virginia Tech eventually, I, th- I think they'll be okay on that front. And if that's the case, then really everything about the special teams is is going positive. Well, Shebist, I guess, channeled his inner Polly from Rocky Four when when Polly says hit the one in the middle after. That's uh, right. Rocky yeah. says uh, I, I see, see three of them. Yeah, but what it was his it was his was uh, aim for the middle, right? That's his. Uh, Oh that's, yeah, that's his advice to uh, Joey Sly. I first of all, Shebest is a great interview too because he yeah. he's just got this down home, just country fan. Yeah, everything about he's, he's like Charlie Wiles only on special teams. Like that's what he's like talking lot to. Uh, so is it, when he says it, like I'll just tell him aim for the middle. And it's like okay, that's I like that's pretty good advice. So uh, I think his his whole point with that is he doesn't want his kicker overanalyzing and overthinking things because then you're like, well, when I come across with my leg? Am I going to rotate to a certain And then you're just in your head about it. Uh, we actually requested Joey Sly this week, and they turned it down. I, I think part of that is because they don't want him talking about uh, the struggles or the misses because they don't want him to harp on them. They just want him to put it behind him. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Joey is plenty capable of talking to us, uh, being mature about it, but uh, they think otherwise. But you know, I, I think they just don't want him to like it be to become a thing and then it becomes a bigger thing down the line. Right. Yeah. I just don't want to get in his head. Well, the truth of the matter is this is all secondary. All this junk we've been talking about really doesn't matter very much at all. What does matter, Aaron? That's right. It's time for the Pimpleton minute. Now, you, uh, moment. Hard cut, hard cut to the Pimpleton minute music. <laughs> Moments after a fan had tweeted me a picture of Pimpleton on the bench that almost brought a tear to my eye in the fourth quarter, I was like, and he said, this is as close as we're going to get to the Pimpleton minute today, I think. Moments after that, there he is. He's playing. He's on the field. And guess what? The team picks up 15 yards on a pass interference penalty. I'm sure what happened was the blue hens were all sucked up to uh, to Pimpleton. They knew that he's a, a water bug out there. And so then another receiver was running free and they had no choice but to bump him. 
15 yards. Templeton comes off the field. His job is done. What did you think of his performance? I thought it was pretty stellar. Yeah, I don't know if I can judge it quite as much as you. He was on the field for a couple plays. Hezekiah Grimsley drew the pass interference call. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to see him out there because I guess that means that uh, they are going forward with him playing this year. I mean, obviously they've already played him. They burned the red shirt. Uh, I, I think that maybe shows a dissatisfaction level maybe with some of the other receivers that are options out there because they, they know they're going to need more. Uh, and they had some guys that have played before, you know, Henry Murphy, Phil Patterson have played before. They, I mean, they, they're, they've been out there. Uh, you would think that those would be the guys that they go to first. I guess Phil Patterson hasn't played, but he was in a, a larger role in the spring game than, than Pimpleton had. You think they would go to those guys first or would give them the opportunity first, but they haven't really been on the field yet. So I, I think there's uh, still a searching process in the receiver core of who's going to be the other guys to help out. You know, Cam Phillips, Sean Savoy, C.J. Carroll. I think those are the guys they trust right now. Eric Kuma has played. I don't know if he has a catch yet to this point, but that's only four guys. You're going to need more than that. And, uh, yeah, in a perfect world, maybe you'd like to redshirt Pimpleton and, and Grimsley, but I don't think they're in a perfect world right now receiver, and both those guys are probably going to have to contribute. Well, you mentioned them burning the shirt, and I am thrilled that they've done that, but isn't it true that if you were, like, to say, heaven forbid, getting injured or something in practice um, – and then, you know, not be able to play the rest of the year, he could probably still redshirt because he didn't play very much at all. Like, isn't there a threshold they have to reach? Uh, yeah, there's a potential that he could get a medical redshirt if he were to get injured with something. I think you have to play in less than 20% of the team's gains, and it all has to be in the first half of the season. So that's there, but they've really cracked down on it. It has to be like a legitimate injury, and they have to have uh, documentation of it, medical documentation. You can't just say, uh, he's injured. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get the redshirt. That, that's a lot harder now to do to recoup that year than it would be uh, in the past where you could just sort of make up a phantom injury. Well, I'm very excited that he's back on the field and he's playing. Uh, we, as Actually, as we are taping this, we just got some breaking news. Andy, why don't you tell us what the breaking news is and what it means? Uh, well, we found out the reason Tevante Beckett, uh, backup, <coughs> backup linebacker, was suspended. Uh, he charged with possession of marijuana, uh, and the more serious charge was conspiracy to sell, distribute marijuana. Uh, that's a Class 5 felony, according to the online courts database, which... Uh, at Virginia Tech, that triggers an automatic suspension within the athletic department, so that's why uh, it was sort of abrupt on Monday. You saw he's automatically suspended from team activities, practice, competition, uh, and that's all they were going to say on that. That that's uh, I forget the exact. It's like policy fourteen something something. Uh, they put that in place so that when a felony charge is there, it's sort of out of the Virginia the athletic department's hands. They just it's an automatic suspension until the charge is resolved. Uh, and then uh, if that's resolved, then you can kind of see what can happen from there. Uh, as far as the, the charges, uh, you know, it gets into this sort of legalese stuff. I don't really know uh, what uh, – you know, there's sort of a broad definition, I think, within uh, what it could be conspiracy to sell, distribute. I don't know exactly what that is. So I'm going to refrain from saying to you – know, like, oh, he was definitely selling or something like that. I, I have no idea what the, triggered that charge. Uh, it was weird. The official offense date was listed as August 23rd, uh, and the actual charge wasn't put into the system until September 11th. So I don't understand the, the lag there. We have some people looking into it, and perhaps we can get some more information on that later. What do you think of the policy that uh, 
you know, auto, the auto suspension policy. I mean, I guess it removes a lot of the sort of the guesswork and uh, a lot of the decision making, really, from the powers that be. But is it is it fair? Uh, if a guy, you know, obviously hasn't been found guilty of anything, is it fair to go ahead and just you know suspend him? Uh, do you think that's a reasonable thing to do? I mean, I kind of I kind of feel like it is. I mean, you don't want to have a guy out there who ends up. Uh, being convicted of a felony, uh, but I mean, it's it's just a tough situation for a university to deal with. Do you think this is the best way for a university to deal with it? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I mean, it was put in place so it was taken out of the coach's hands, mm-hmm. and and I think you can look around the country at a lot of places that uh, if they don't have a, a school policy in place that they kind of let guys skate with some stuff. Oh, well, who knows exactly the whole story that star player is still going to play this week. Uh, and I think this was sort of born out of you know early 2000s or middle 1990s, where uh, there were a lot of issues with uh, you know arrests and things of that nature, and it would be on Frank Beamer to you know is he going to suspend them? Is he not? And I think they take this off the coach's plate if it reaches a certain severity. Uh, you know, police don't make these charges light lightly. It's not like oh there's sort of a, a rumor he was doing something. We're going to charge him with a felony. No, the, there's actual evidence behind this or a reason they charge somebody with this. So, I think it's met a certain threshold if they're charging him uh, with this. I mean, certainly this isn't a, a class one felony or anything like that. So, uh, I know a lot of people will jump to conclusion and it, it'll be both sides. Oh, what's he doing? He threw away an opportunity. Oh, you know, it's just weed. You know, it shouldn't be a big serious. Uh, big serious deal regardless the law is the law this is considered a class five felony and therefore the suspension is is automatic yeah and when you have a policy like that you can sit everybody down before the season and say look this is if a happens b is the response you know this is uh i'm sure they they were given that talk and so uh you know kind of just you got to make sure you don't put yourself in situations where you could get arrested even if it's not something you you know even if you don't, you know, by by the letter of the law, you end up getting off or whatever. I mean, it's still it's still serious to get arrested. Yeah, and, and we'll see what this is long term. You know, Fuente kind of no commented today, you know, citing you know the policy is the policy. You got suspended. There's not really much you can say at this point. Uh, I will caution people to say, oh, it's a felony. There's no way he's coming back. Or you know, it's a marijuana thing. There's no way he's coming back. I, I've seen. I mean, Cody Jernell came back after that whole fiasco. A couple years ago, I mean, there, there was n- nothing more embarrassing for the program than that. I think he spent a couple days in jail actually, because it was around Christmas time, and it was like a, a strange time for when he could actually make bond. If he can come back from that, I feel like there's a, a lot of leeway, a lot of second chance with guys that they can have. But then again, I'm saying I don't know any of the details uh, of the arrest. Like I said, we're we're looking into that. Well, Beckett was sort of an up and comer, right? Uh, he was considered. To- well, he's a backup now, but he is. I, I think they were probably grooming him to take over the Mike linebacker position. I mean, they got Andrew Mutuapawak as a senior. Uh, Sean Hulescamp, who's the backup now, is a senior. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds could very well go pro after the season. Anthony Chagag, who is his backup at backer, is a senior. Uh, you could potentially lose your top four linebackers from the season. So, uh, you know, right now you look at it and you go, it's a reserve linebacker. You know, that's not that big of a deal right now. If it becomes something long-term and he can't get back, you know, that is uh, one less guy that's going to be there competing for the job in the future. And I, I think he would have been next in line to, to be a potential starter next year. Okay. Well, uh, if we get any updates uh, from our news writers who are out there working on this, we will uh, provide them to you <laughs> online, of course. Uh Back to something a little bit lighter, although some people don't don't find it uh, to be the, a very light topic. But 
the third quarter thing. Uh, this will be the last thing we touch on from from last week's game, but that thing really bombed. Um, to say the least. To say the least. Uh, <laughs> I talked to Wit. Wit was nice enough to take some time on a Sunday morning and answer questions about something that really has no national significance at all. But uh, you know, I, I wanted to give him an opportunity to respond because, other than that, you know, it's just like, okay what was that? You know, first of all, what was that? And second of all, can it get better? Uh, I think uh, he gave pretty good answers on both counts. I know it doesn't satisfy a lot of people out there, but uh, basically what he told me was, look, we didn't get a preseason on this. You know, this was the first time we wanted, we wanted the president out there doing it because uh, obviously he's the president of the university. It's a good ribbon cutting type of scenario for him. And, he's going to kick us off. Well, what happened was a lot of confusion out there. Um, fans were already kind of grouchy because of what you mentioned earlier with the, with the game, not going great. Um, there wasn't really clear instructions. I talked to one of my friends who was in the end zone stance. He said he couldn't see the placards and there was no, you know, he, he had no idea what was going on. He's like, what is Dr. Sand supposed to say something? I'm supposed to say that? like, so they've got some working out to do, but, what do you, I mean, do you think that, that ultimately people will embrace this? Uh, or do you think it's, it's, that was such a bad beginning that they, they'll never recover from it? I, I think they could embrace it eventually. It's got to be done better. Uh, you know, I, I know why they had President Sands lead the cheer. I think that's sort of something they maybe had to do in that situation, but maybe they could find somebody that's a little more in tune to what the cheer is supposed to be. Uh, I'm trying to put this as politely as possible. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was just yeah, it was a weird time for the game, and like the the crowd knows the chant. Like they right. do it before the game, uh, and it leads up to Enter Sandman. I wonder if it needs to lead up to something. Maybe not Enter Sandman, because I know all these Hokies fans don't want to run that song to the ground, even though it kind of already is. I mean, they, they play it all the time. They play it after games. They play it before big downs in the fourth quarter stuff like that so sure don't touch that but come up with something else it can't just be the the it's if it's just let's go hokies back and forth and back and forth it's just like this droning chant and it's like well what is this building up to it's it needs to build up to something so <laughs> maybe the shout video right well the i mean it, horse or yeah is too but, long? well no i think that's that's kind of got its own place in the fourth quarter at this point doesn't yeah, it yeah. I, I don't know i i they got to come up with something a little bit better than what it does i won't completely judge it based on you know, that first uh, performance, I guess, of it is what they were. I mean, you're going to have to iron out some kinks in that whole thing. But uh, it was it was pretty bad uh, for the first one. I think everybody agrees with that. Well, the thing is, if, if you got Tyrod Taylor on his bye week or something down there and you, nobody knows he's coming out and all of a sudden he's there, well, you don't, you know, the chant itself, the chant will take care of itself. You know, but when you got the university president out there, he doesn't exactly exude let's party. You know, it's it's kind of like dean, uh, the the dean from Homer goes to college. You know, I mean, it's like uh, from School of Hard Knockers, not not the dean who was playing hacky sack. But I was gonna say the guy who played bass for the Pretenders. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Um, if you want to read Wit's thoughts, they're still online there at Roanoke.com. You can see what he had to say about the whole matter. Let's move on to ECU. Um, I have a line written down as 21 and a half, but I actually checked it uh, while you were working on the Beckett thing, and it's 22 and a half at the place I, I shop. Um, that seems like an awful lot. Uh, 
That's what I said right away. When the line came out at 21 as an open, I said, wow, at the end of it, uh, exclaiming how high I thought the line was. I thought it was amazing. People were like, what's wrong with the line? Like Dan Wolken of the USA Today said, I, I think it's low, to be honest. Of course, he was also the one that said West Virginia should have been a favorite in the opener, not Virginia Tech. So not exactly uh, correct with that. But it's a lot of points. And the last time they were a 20-plus point favorite on the road – Syracuse last year, 23-point favorite going into the game, a game they actually lost. <laughs> Not just didn't cover, they lost the game. So whenever a Virginia Tech team is a 20-plus road favorite, 20-plus point road favorite, I my flags go up. And I kind of go, or antennas are you know triggered here. And I go, yeah, I don't know. That's That might be a little bit too generous. I know ECU has been absolutely trash so far. I mean, they lost to James Madison at home. and didn't just lose. They got stomped. I mean, it was a 20-point game. James Madison ran all over them. Uh, last week, West Virginia threw all over them. It was 49-3 to at halftime. They just fired their defensive coordinator. Or they didn't fire him. They reassigned him within the uh, department and, and promoted their D-line coach. So that has changed a little bit. Uh, I, I am just of the opinion that teams don't always – they're not always as bad as it may seem the first couple of weeks. I just, I've seen this East Carolina program for a while. I know they probably made a mistake in firing Ruffin McNeil. They went three and nine last year. I just, to me, it just seems like it couldn't possibly be this bad. And when it can't possibly be this bad and, uh, you probably expect them to have a little bit better performance. I, you know, they're a desperate team right now too. I think that's the other part of it is, you know, I think we asked Bud yesterday and he was strong with the animal metaphors, it's like a dog backed into a corner. You know, every time we go down there, it's a hornet's nest. Like he, was, he was pulling out the animal metaphors left and right. Uh, I think there's a degree of truth to that though. I mean, it, usually the more desperate team is more motivated in games and, you know, I'm not saying East Carolina is going to win. I just, I don't think it's going to be a, a four touchdown outcome. Well, I, I'm doing a blog each week where I pick four underdogs for the college football week. And first week I went three and one against the spread. It was a nice start. The second week I went one and three. So it was, it was a bad, bad week. And one of my picks was East Carolina against West Virginia. And that's, that should be worth double loss because that was just uh, – What was the line on that it one? It was a bloodletting. Um, oh, gosh. 2024, something like that? That was 20-plus. Yeah, but that was in Morgantown. That's, but I, I thought a lot of the same things you did, which, you know, they can't be this bad. You know, West Virginia is coming off a short week and also a very you know, disheartening loss. It's a noon game. I kind of thought, you know, ECU is the kind of team that hangs around, but that didn't happen. Uh, so the opportunity is there for the Hokies if they, you know, if they're clicking to to really run it <coughs> off. But I still agree with you. I think it's going to be tighter than that. We'll get to our prediction later, I guess. But well, I just think like if you're thinking of this purely from a betting perspective, and I know a lot of people don't, but some people do. Uh, you know, if it's a 22 point line, you've got to, say ECU scores first. All of a sudden, you're looking at four touchdowns just to break even, almost to almost break even on your bet, like. With this offense, the way it played last week, I know they scored 31 points in the opener. Uh, there were times where it didn't look that great in the opener. I, I just have a lot of question marks about the capabilities of this offense scoring enough points to cover a 22-point line. I mean, you essentially have to score 30 if you if you assume that they're not going to pitch a shutout on defense. And I would think that East Carolina is capable of scoring. It just seems to me that would be a very tough bet. If if you were betting on the Hokies to win that, that would be a, a tough one to cover. You, yeah. I mean, you can win by 14 points and still dominate the game. To win by 23, sometimes 
you need a little bit more than that. You need a little bit of luck. You, you certainly, if you're winning by a lot, you can't let them have a garbage time touchdown late. I just think from a purely a betting standpoint, that that's a tough one. Uh, that would be a tough one for me to, to, to bet the Hokies on. You know, it's. I think I think ECU fans would feel better if they knew that Thomas Sirk was going to play. I mean, he has a little bit of a history with the Hokies of having beaten the Hokies, right? And that one what was a triple overtime game, quadruple overtime, quadruple with Duke, with Duke. Um, and of course, uh, Scotty Montgomery is is his former coach at Duke or his former coordinator at Duke. Yeah, I mean, that said, the last time they went to ECU, it was the backup quarterback that ended up beating them, James Summers. I know he's a different type of quarterback. He's a running quarterback, but uh, yeah, yeah, they went down there to- not prepared to face that guy, and then that guy comes in and, and kind of runs roughshod over them. I just think with the history of the series, I mean, the last three games have been decided by seven points or last down there. Uh, I think even before that, it was 16-3 to was a game they won. I mean, just they've all been tight games. Uh, so I know this is a struggling ECU team, and they're really not the team they were a couple years ago under Ruffin McNeil. But uh, the history is, is is strong in my mind in this series. I, even last year, I mean, last year Virginia Tech blew them off the field. That was also at home. That was also with the you know that was probably the best the Hokies have played all year. That stretch where they they crushed ECU, shut out Boston College, and then went on the road and beat North Carolina. But after that is when they took a step back, and things weren't quite as easy the rest of the season. So. Uh, you know, this is a very young team who knows how it goes on the road and performs a true road game. You know, at uh, Landover uh, at FedEx, they had a pretty big Hokies contingent there. I mean, it was 50-50. It could still feel like a home game at times. Uh, I'm curious what the crowd will be like at Dowdy Ficklin uh, Stadium, you know, with with ECU struggling so much. But it will still be a true road venue. Sometimes that, that changes things a little bit. Yeah, and I love that little stadium. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not that little, but it's it's – uh, the the atmosphere, typically, at least when we've been down there in the past, the tailgating scene is great. The fans are lubed up and ready to roll, and it's 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 a fun, uh, festive place of, of pirates. Uh, but I don't know. You're right. I mean, who knows? Given the way they've started, I, I still think they'll 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 be into it. But maybe the numbers will be down a little bit. You know, maybe people say, "Well, I'm not going to spend a Saturday watching the uh, you know the, the the hosts get." get blasted if that if that's what they think is going to happen i did a little twitter poll last night these uh, are highly uh, yes uh, highly scientific, yeah, scientific polls. polls 312 votes uh hokies head to greenville tech fans should be <coughs> a scared b hot tub seshing with the free w or c other a hot tub session with the free w's winning uh i voted for that one just because you put hot tub session yeah. there i didn't really know what else the thing said but you said hot tub sesh so i, I voted for that but only 40 percent of the folks actually had the hot tub session they think it's just going to be a walkover um i'm you know curious what the others are because <laughs> you, you get those twitter polls you can't really put every option on there but i think there's people that maybe feel like it should be a hot tub sesh, but just don't want to say it because they're superstitious. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Last year at Syracuse, and now I've, I've brought that game up and people mentioned, oh, but Syracuse had good players. They were they were a good team. They were, they were like 4-8 and eight on the season, so they weren't that good to begin with. I think that's what they finished. Uh, also, nobody thought they were good going into the game. I mean, they were 2-4. and four. They had... I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson famously jumped over the defender early in the season. I think it was like a 35-point game. They, they got blown out by Clemson. They had just gone to Wake Forest and lost by 18, 19 on the road. They had only scored like nine points in that game. Like, there was no indication 
that Syracuse was going to be a handful or that offense was going to be, you know, I, I think people had an idea with that the tempo of that offense. It could be a problem, but then everything came together against the Hokies. I mean, right. they, they were great on third downs. Their quarterbacks were running all over the field. Uh, defense probably played as well as it played all season. In Gerard that game. had one of his worst games. Yeah. And it just, it just came out of nowhere. And I think, that is always the thought that I have going into this game with Virginia Tech. Is like it's so obvious they should blow this team out. I mean, ECU is terrible. Virginia Tech's ranked in the teens, which is you know incidentally is where they were ranked last year when they were going in uh, to Syracuse. It's just this is why bets after the fact. Oh, it's so obvious what it should have been, right? But it's because everybody thinking going into the game like, oh, this should be no trouble. It, you know, I just some red flags go up when I see a line this big on the road. Yeah, the Syracuse parallel is a really good one. Because I do remember being up there thinking, well, this would be an easy day for Virginia Tech. And, you know, just didn't see anything coming. And, and that's when you had guys on office. Like, well, Gerard is a trusted guy at this yeah. point. Isaiah, Bucky Hodges, these guys are veterans on the team. They'll go into a, an environment like that and they'll do well. I mean, you, you still have a redshirt freshman quarterback this year making his third career start, first true road start. Uh, outside of Cam Phillips, not a lot of experience in the receiving core. I, I just think there's a lot of ways where this – game could get sideways offensively for them and it might be a tougher uh task than a lot of Hokies fans want to admit yeah and, and you're right the the environment can close <coughs> in on you it certainly did at the carrier dome uh it, and you know ECU is is the kind of environment can close in on you if you start going the wrong way watch a blowout win we'll think, like we'll look well, like idiots next week and be like, oh what are you talking about yeah it could, that could happen as well I mean I think Jackson is the key here and I'll probably write about him for Saturday you know, what do we know about Jackson? I think we know he's calm. I think we know he's cautious. Um, I think we know that he's not going to get worked up and all those things. But I think he also has, you know, shown some freshman mistakes as he did in that last game. And um, this is an opportunity for him really to to shine, to be honest. I mean, given what West Virginia did last week. Um, I mean, what do you want to know about Jackson that you don't know yet? Because I guess bouncing back from a performance like last week is one thing I'd like to see. Yeah, I I think they need to be better as a team on third downs, and I think some of that is on him. I mean, they've been in third and longs a lot, so that hasn't helped the situation. Uh, He's got to make some of those throws on third down, I think, uh, would help if his receivers caught some of those passes. They had some uh, drops in in the other game. You know, there was a a throw that he made against Delaware that was really good where it kind of dropped it in between – uh, two levels of defenders to C.J. Carroll. And C.J. Carroll got popped. I actually think Jackson might have gotten him the ball a little bit late. He looked like he was open a tad before that. But that was a nice throw into a tight spot. And I, I, I'm not sure if they set up that set up a field goal opportunity or if that was a touchdown drive, whatever it was. But it was a nice throw uh, in sort of a difficult spot. I think uh, it's been obvious that he's not going to force the ball into coverage. But let's see him make those really tight throws into tight spots. That would be something uh, I'd be curious to, to see if he's better at this week. So the, is Robert Prunty the acting defensive coordinator, or is he is he just moved? He yeah. shuffled to it. I don't know if it's going to be a permanent thing. He is he's got the title as defensive okay. coordinator. You go now. way back with him, and you way have, back. You yeah. have a story. I would like to hear the story. Well, Prunty uh, is uh, a lot of Virginia people will know that name. He was the coach at Hargrave Military Academy uh, for a long time. Before that, he was the head coach at Gretna High School. Uh, and actually, when he was the coach, he ended the 44, the state's record 44-game losing streak that Gretna had. I think it was 1996 or something like that. Eventually turned that program around. His last year at Gretna was Vic Hall's freshman year. 
uh, and he played quarterback. I think they made like the region semifinals or something like that. Uh, the next year is when I came into Danville as a wide-eyed sports writer straight out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school. Uh, I covered Gretna, so I kind of had a history there. Uh, you know, had uh, some knowledge of the program there. Uh, they went on to, a, I want to say like, I think they got to the state semi. They got pretty far into the playoffs that, that next year. They kind of opened up the offense, and that's when everybody saw what Vic Hall could do as a quarterback. Uh, but the next year I was writing a story like how the new coach is different from the old coach. And I talked to one of the players. It's like, ah, oh, you know, Coach Bronny likes to goof around. He's kind of goofy and stuff like that. And Bronny being a Hargrave, you know, military academy coach probably didn't want that out there that he likes to goof around on occasion because he needs, you know, he needs to be a hard ass at, at Hargrave. That's that's what that whole role uh, calls for. So after I wrote the story, he called me. And he was just like, what are you calling me goofy for? Like, it, it, it ruins my reputation for that. He's like, hold on, hold on one second. I want to order some extra biscuits with this. He was at a drive-thru when he was calling me to complain to me to, to you know, rip me a new one on the phone. He's like, okay. And then he came back. He's like, okay, where was it? Where was it? He got back to it. They actually, by the end of the conversation, I'm like, listen, he didn't mean anything, you know, bad about it. He says, you like to goof around sometimes. You like to have fun with it. And he's like, okay, okay, I understand what you say. Like, he completely came around by the end of it. But I thought that was one of the more interesting phone calls that I – uh, had received in my time as a sports writer. Yeah, well, we'll see how he does in his new role here on, on Saturday. We'll get to our predictions here in a second. Before we do, uh, I was going to read some experts, excerpts from the aforementioned Week 3 column of 2013 that, I, that we've discussed on this podcast before. I'm not going to do that. I've, uh, I've decided that's not a good idea. If you would like a copy of that article, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to the Roanoke Times, and I'll get you one lickety-split. Uh, but you're a top 25 voter, and let's get your national thoughts. Uh, any any big changes in your poll? Um, who's in? Who's out? Did my turtles get in with you? Because, I mean, they, they whipped up on Towson. That should have been enough, I think, to show you they're ready. Oddly, nobody new was in the poll. I didn't have anybody drop out, and I have, didn't have anybody new come into the poll really? this week. I was kind of surprised myself when I looked at it. I had Florida ranked 25th. Uh, that could have potentially been a team that dropped out. I considered Washington State. You know, Florida's kind of in a weird spot. Like, they didn't play last week because of the hurricane. I'm like, do I not drop a team out because they didn't play because of a hurricane? Uh, I dropped them from their initial spot because they looked so bad against Michigan. But I have Michigan ranked at this point, I think, sixth or seventh. Uh, I forget exactly. Let me look at it here. I got Michigan ranked sixth. I don't necessarily feel great about that, but they did beat you know, a ranked Florida team to start the year. So, you know, if their only data point so far is one loss to a team that I have ranked sixth in the country, I'm not going to just automatically drop them out of the poll. Uh, biggest mover was uh, Oklahoma. I moved them from sixth to second after they went up to Ohio State and won. I had Ohio State ranked second last week, so I consider that a, a very big win. I think uh, my top three, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, I think that's a solid top three uh, right now. Even though I'm actually picking Clemson to lose this week, to I was going to ask. I had you I had Louisville in the the pick'em this week. So, I did too. Uh, great. I thought that was going to be like a unique pick, and now everybody's going to do it. Uh, four. I've got USC. I put them back up after they beat Stanford uh, past Penn State, who's looked good but hasn't really played anybody. You know, Pitt last week was so-so opponent. Stanford was a better win for USC. Uh, Georgia. I gave a little bit of a bump after they beat Notre Dame. I uh, put them to 12th, going from 15th. 
Uh, I still have Florida State 10th. That was another one where I didn't really quite know what to do with them. Uh, a couple teams that lost, Auburn and Stanford, I didn't drop them much. I dropped them one spot each, and that was more to accommodate Georgia moving up. But, I mean, they lost to uh, Clemson, uh, Auburn did, and Stanford lost to USC, two top five teams. Uh, again, if you're playing really good competition like that, and you know Auburn wasn't blown off the field by any stretch of the imagination, I think it was a 14 to six game. Uh, Clemson's got a pretty good defense. Auburn also has a pretty good defense too. So I didn't jump a team like Virginia Tech ahead of them, which I had 16th, just because they beat an FCS team. So uh, you know, there's still a little bit of projection right now at the top 25. I think a lot of people complained last week. He's like, oh, well, Stanford hasn't beaten anybody. It's like, right, but. They did play somebody and lost a game on the road like that. Uh, I think they're still a pretty good team. I think the projection will start to fade away around week four, week five, and it'll be just you know simply what you have done this year. But it's still so early that I think you have to do a little bit of projecting with your, your rankings. Still locking out the Turtles, I see. Well, they'll show you. When did they play somebody legit? Uh, Texas. Yeah, well, I, I, I have already said that I was wrong about Texas. In I don't Austin? like Texas. It's, Texas is not – that good, uh, so they, that devalues that win. Uh, I think they, they they might play Wisconsin Badgers at some point. That'll be that'll be a time when they need to uh, to strap it up. All right, let's do our prediction. Actually, before we do our predictions, why do you like Louisville in that game? I do too. It's a three point line. Clemson's favored. Um, well, I thought I, it was a chance to be a little bit different. Hey, I, is Clemson coming off a big win like that? Uh, you know, Louisville played them toe-to-toe last year. I mean, really, almost could have beaten them last year. The receiver doesn't go out of bounds at the last second. I think they lost that game by three points. Uh, you know, Louisville hasn't overwhelmed at this point, but Lamar Jackson's still pretty dang good. I, th- I know their defense hasn't been very sharp, uh, but Clemson's offense wasn't necessarily sharp last week. I just think being at home, it's a huge game for Louisville. Everybody's been saying, oh, Lamar Jackson sort of won the Heisman by default. It really should have been Deshaun Watson's, even though – you know, you, you don't factor in the championship game. That's right. the reason they vote on it when they vote on it. Uh, I voted for Lamar Jackson. I Deshaun Watson second last year. I think it was a legit Heisman win for him. But people have been sort of saying it wasn't because he tailed off towards the end of the year. Watson won the national championship, all that. I think he hears all that. I think he that motivates him in this. So I think you're going to see the very best out of Louisville. And if it comes down to, you know, can Louisville scheme a little bit around a really good Clemson uh, defense, you know, Bobby Petrino can do that. Uh, so, you know, that's why I went with the upset pick. I thought it would be more unique, but I guess you're doing it too. Yeah. So we just pulled up the Maryland schedule at Ohio State on October 7th is the real biggie. They got at Minnesota on the 30th. Yeah, I don't think going 4 0 against the, the schedule they had will get them in there. But we'll see. We'll compare their resume to some other teams that are out there. We'll see. Okay. So, will the Hokies go 3 0? It's prediction time. I think we both think they will go 3 0. But what is your score? Which side of the line are you going on? I'll say Hokies 31 to 14. Or 31 to yeah 31 four 31 17 that's what I'm going with that sounds like a football score we really prepared for this yeah I'm trying to figure it out in my mind uh, that's you know that's still a two touchdown win I think like I said before I think a 22 point line or whatever it's going to end up being is is really hard to get over that hurdle uh, and, and stay at that point so yeah I like the Hokies to win this comfortably uh, certainly comfortably for any of the history that they've had in Greenville but. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to be like a five-touchdown outcome. What's the most points they've scored at Greenville? I mean, <laughs> it's hard to score there. And, you know, the teams have been better, as we've discussed. But it just seems like 
we've seen a lot of punts in Greenville when we've been down there, and I kind of feel forty-five like, twenty-eight okay. back in two thousand. Wow! But, you know, uh, since you know, since you know, what we call them ACC era, they've never scored more than twenty-eight down there, yeah. and it was in a loss, the twenty-eight that they scored. So that that that's why there's the hesitancy there. I'm gonna go with thirty to ten, Virginia Tech. I think we walk out of that stadium saying, "All right, buds, really." You know, established that he, you know, that defense is where they want it to be, um, but that offense still has some work to do. I think that's how we leave this game, and that would have um, ECU covering just slightly, but it would have ECU covering. I'm two and zero against the spread with the Hokie picks. You're one and one. You get credit for last week because it was thirty nine and a half. And yeah. Under that, so uh, and you had the tenor of the game right, and so we'll, we'll either both be right or both be wrong here. That's true. Um, and we'll come back next week and break it all down and figure out how we did. But uh, that's it for today. We're glad you joined us. We really appreciate all the folks out there have been listening. We're really appreciative. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We will see you next time.